If you would, please take a copy of God's Word and let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 9. Uh, if you don't have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, you can find the sermon passage on the inside cover of the bulletin or uh, one of the uh, black books in front of you. The red ones are hymnals, the black ones are pew Bibles. Um, page 979, I believe it is, if you like to follow along, we encourage you to do so. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 9, hear now God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will, as to the Lord and not to man, knowing, <clears throat> excuse me, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Thus ends the reading of God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So let's ask his blessing now as we consider his word. Let's pray. O oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, would you continue to be our help and our hope right now? Would you help us to see our sin and also see our great Savior, in whose name we pray, amen. I don't know much about Lord Acton, but most of us would recognize his famous quote, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And today's passage is all about the power or the authority that tends to corrupt. Fathers, do you like telling your kids what to do? I don't have to take orders anymore. I get to give them. Yeah. Bosses, masters, do you feel the same way? And, and what if you're not the one in power? Well, power tends to corrupt you in another way. You begin to resent power, don't you? My dad is so out of touch. So mean, he never lets me do anything fun. Or maybe it's, it's something like this. My boss is a jerk. She can't see my genius. If I ran this office, now maybe you don't talk or think that way. But the point is that this is what power and authority tend to do to us. Our fallen human nature will tend towards chaos or rebellion or resentment and more. Unless something works against it unless we die more and more unto sin and live more and more unto righteousness, unless we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, that's Ephesians 5.21, I believe we saw it last week, or if, unless we imitate Christ, Ephesians 5.1, unless we walk worthy of our glorious calling, Ephesians 4.1. And this is especially true within your own family. See, Paul has been telling us since about chapter 4 that the family of God should live and act a certain way. And now he is 
turning to the most basic unit of society, the family, not the metaphorical family, the family. We all have families, and we know our mother and father and our siblings, and maybe not. Maybe we've become part of a new family, but all families will have superiors, inferiors, and equals within them, right? We'll learn how to live and love within both a hierarchy and a community. And if we do that well, we'll model and imitate Christ so that others are encouraged to follow Christ and submit to him. In short, what we see today is authority must be wielded wisely and followed humbly out of reverence for Christ, our Savior. How do you handle authority? How do you respond to authority? Both of those questions show what you believe about Christ. The Lord of heaven and earth who came down to earth to be like us in every way, yet without sin, and to do, to do all of that all the way to Calvary. Four lessons today about authority. The fourth one's going to be short. But first, children, obeying authority brings long life. Obeying authority brings long life. It's our first point, verses 1 through 3. You see here a command and a reason, and then a similar command and a promise. But first, verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. It's the command and a reason. Children, obey. Now at, say, age 29, honoring, the word he uses in verse 2, honoring your parents can be tricky. At age 10, it's, it's a bit simpler to know what you should do. Honoring usually means obey when you're 10 years old, and obey... Always means obey, right? Unless your parents are leading you into sin, as the Bible defines sin. And what, what reason does he give to obey your parents? For this is right. Right in what way? Right because it's accepted in every society that you have to do this, a sort of natural law type argument, if you're familiar with that. Or is it right because this is what the Old Testament law says? Right <clears throat> because this is how we imitate Christ the one who obeyed or submitted to his parents, even though he was smarter and more holy than them. You remember we looked at that in Luke 2.51 last week. Or does it mean, you know, sometimes kids just have to obey and follow before someone explains the reasons fully. Kids, that last one right there, that, that might irritate you a little bit, right? You don't have to answer in front of your parents or raise your hand, say Amen. So just listen for a second. Do you like it when you have to do something that mom and dad says and they don't give you a reason? It's not fun, is it? But this is part of what it is to trust and obey in a similar way. God often asks us to walk by faith, to obey in small things, even though we don't know the final outcome. He, he says, walk by faith, not by sight. Trust me. For the first five steps, and if you need to know what step number six is, I'll tell you after step five. There's an old song. It's also a quote from Martin Luther, an old pastor. Some of you know that name. He once said of following God and walking by faith, I do not know the way I go, but oh, I know my guide. He knew God was guiding him. He knew he could trust God. Now, you may whether you're five or 35, you may still be learning to trust your parents or trust your God. Your parents will, will, will get it wrong sometimes. Your God never will. 
but in learning to obey your parents, other authorities in life, you're learning what it means to trust God and walk by faith. And on top of that, obeying your parents comes with a blessing. That brings us to verses two and three. It says there, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Does honoring your parents look different at different ages? Does it look different at five than it does at 18? Different at seven than it does at 21? Different at 10 than it does at 29? Yeah, at age 29, you may decide that your parents command, if they still give you commands, Commands should, should not be obeyed because they no longer have the right to give you commands, but you should always honor your parents, always honor. And you're a fool if you don't. Even if honoring your parents is hard. We'll talk more about why in a second. But Paul here is quoting the Ten Commandments, and why does he mention the promise? Well, because there are multiple motivations for holiness and godliness. Now, on the one hand, we need to obey because we're commanded to obey, amen? But obedience is often the path towards blessing. It doesn't mean we earn our salvation or something like that. Our salvation is all of grace. Grace that opens our blind eyes so that we're now able to see. Grace that transforms duty into delight. A grace that sees that the blessings of the narrow road lead to life. Tyrone, my old high school soccer coach, my brother and I were talking about him just recently. He once told us, you don't have to learn every lesson the hard way. In other words, if you obey your parents, life will probably be easier. If you learn how to obey the authorities in your life, even though they're imperfect, it will go well with you, it says. Now, originally, obedience to parents and authorities, that would lead to a long life in the promised land for Israel. Again, this is from the book of Exodus in the Old Testament, and, and that was the promise to them. Now, of course, Israel disobeyed not just their parents, but their ultimate authority, God, and they got kicked out of the land, the promised land. They got exiled. But Paul is saying this promise remains in a unique way for all of us who live after the exile after the birth of Christ, obeying authority still gives hope for a long life in whatever land we call home. Think about it this way. A man who can't obey authority is doomed to a, a short, wayward, unhappy life because life is almost always filled with different authorities, is it not? All of them imperfect, and they need not always be burdensome. You're, some of you are thinking, I know people who die rich, evil, and happy. At least it seems that way. The only thing I can say to that is, do you think they're happy after they die? Now, my friend Regina Goodwin, whom I met back in seminary, she lived to age 104, no, 104, 104. When you asked her why she lived so long, she would say, because I kept the fifth commandment. I honored my parents. Now, is that explanation too simple for you this morning? I don't know. I suppose we can ask her when we all get to heaven. But children, obeying authority leads to a long life. Now it's time to talk to your parents. Our second point is this. Fathers, teach your kids to fear God more than you. Teach your kids to fear God more than you. Verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline 
and instruction of the Lord. That's always easier, seemingly always easier, to speak out of our expertise. This topic's tricky for me. Yes, I'm a father. I'm expert enough in God's word to be a minister, but that doesn't mean I never struggle. I never ace the test of parent, uh, excuse me, that I always ace the test of parenting. This week, I had to apologize to at least one of my children for being grumpy. I also had one, maybe both of them, tell me at some point, you're a good daddy, so I'll take it. By the way, if you've ever wondered why I don't use my more illustrations and stories about my kids, you see, even if they like the attention, which they might since they're my kids, it wouldn't be good for them or us. But one more thing. I love my kids more than I know how to express. I love my kids more than I realized I would before they were born. I, more than I thought I could. Some of you know that feeling. Some of you maybe are close to fatherhood or motherhood, and you wonder what it's going to be like. I'll say that in passing. Verse 4 is a hard command for fathers and for mothers, but it's a little easier if you love your kids, if you if you want what's best for them. But why does, why does Paul only command fathers here? Well, it seems that it's implied for both fathers and mothers to do these things, but you see, fathers should set the tone. Mothers may even do more direct discipline and parenting, but dads have to set the tone. If dad is a jerk, it's gonna be hard for mom's kindness to fully balance that out, dads. If dad is a complete pushover, it's gonna be hard for mom to run a tight ship, an orderly household. And moms, anything I say about dad's tone, moon, uh, mood, kindness, firmness, etc., <clears throat> God wants you to do that too. But dads, what are, we, what are we not supposed to do? Start with a negative. Do not provoke your children to anger. Where's the line with that? Doesn't mean no rules, of course. The next half of the verse makes that pretty clear. One author says it this way, discipline is essential in the home, but not unnecessary rules and regulations and endless petty correction by which children are discouraged. And he's quoting the parallel passage in Colossians. Don't discourage your kids. Don't beat them down. Don't make them think they can never get it right. Never be good enough. Don't provoke them to anger. Fathers, ask yourself, does this really matter? <laughs> Is this my rule or God's rule? Maybe your kid has an attitude problem. But do you want them to love God or do you want them to listen to you because your ego takes a hit when they don't? I was not a perfect teenager. I had some minor rebellions. At least the ones I'm willing to tell you about are minor. Now among them, our school's dress code had regulations for length of hair for, for boys. And so my... Brother and I took great pleasure in walking right up to the edge of those rules and then growing our hair out long in the summer just because we could. Soccer player hair, if you will. I didn't know until several years later that my parents occasionally had discussions about the length of our hair and the conclusion that they reached, it's just hair. It's just hair. I'd like to think mom and dad got that one right, even if their kids weren't perfect angels. Again, verse four, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What do we need to do as fathers? 
We need to make sure our kids have discipline, have the instruction of the Lord. There's discipline. There's, there is correction. There is chastening. There's, hey, don't do that. Do, do this instead. That's okay. Is it petty? Is it unnecessary? That's the question to ask. But you're going you're gonna to have to say no as a parent. Get over it. Instruction as well. What's instruction look like? Well, it looks many different ways. It's not only teaching devotions a certain time of the day, but it, it shouldn't look like less than that. There should be other instruction times as well, other lessons as you go, as you walk along the way, the Old Testament says. But men, maybe you aren't comfortable opening your Bible and just teaching from it in front of your kids. There are plenty of good devotional books out there. I've collected a few, a lot of them recommended by others. Maybe you're not a great reader. Maybe you're not a great public speaker. Then, then read a verse or two to get started and ask your wife if she can read the rest. Let your kids see that you care about God's word and not only on Sundays. In the words of one author, this is the highest duty of Christian parents, that they see that you love God's word and that you try however you can to instill that same love for Jesus in in your children as well. And we should care about that more than, than all the other things, more than their health, more than their grades, more than their college choices, them getting a marketable degree, marrying someone who's well off and keeping them from all hardship. On that note, a man named Bebo Elkin used to say, we want our kids to avoid bad choices so much, we're tempted to not let them make any choices at all. And then they don't know how to learn from bad choices. Do our kids know Christ? And do they know that Christ loves them even when they make bad choices? Now to clarify, he doesn't love the bad choices or the rebellion or the disobedience themselves. But he does love us in spite of our bad choices, does he not? In spite of our disobedience, in spite of our rebellion. Fathers, don't provoke your kids to anger. And show them the Father's ways, our Heavenly Father's ways. Don't, don't be angry all the time. Your Heavenly Father isn't angry all the time. And don't be a pushover. That's not, that's not godly either. Be a gentleman, a gentle man. Showing your children both the gentleness and the holiness of our loving Heavenly Father. From, from parents and children, let's move on now to servants and masters. A different type of authority to discuss in these next two points. Our third point is this. Men under authority, men and women under authority, God will repay your labor. God will repay your labor. You see this in verses five through eight. Now first, I used that phrase instead of servants or uh, bond slaves or anything like that. I use this phrase because this section is applicable to others besides servants, bond servants, slaves. That particular phrase, man under authority, men under authority, it's from Matthew 8, verses 9 through 11. That's in your bulletin. It's, it's a centurion who's a soldier who's speaking with Jesus. And he says, in part, I'm a man under authority. He has a boss. He does what his boss says is the implication. Now, second thing I want to cover briefly is Paul endorsing slavery here. Is the Bible endorsing slavery? No, he's not. Paul and the whole Bible are not endorsing slavery when they say, servants, obey your masters. They are slowly undermining the beliefs upon which slavery is built. 
They are showing that it's inconsistent with biblical anthropology, the study of man, that we are all made in God's image, equal in value and dignity before God. You see that several places. Verse 9, the way he addresses masters, he doesn't say treat them how you want, they're slaves. No. He says you need to treat them the right way. You see it in Paul's letter to Philemon. Philemon was a slave owner whose slave Onesimus had escaped, run away, met Paul, and become a Christian. Very interesting letter. You see the fruit of all this throughout history. Christians, for all of our faults now and in the past, have often led the charge in abolishing slavery. Most notably, William Wilberforce, his years-long crusade and slavery in the United Kingdom. But, you know, what do you do? If you're created on God's image equal in value and dignity before, uh, along with all other men. You're, you're created in God's image, but you're placed in a world where slavery exists. What do you do? Likewise, what if you're placed in a working class family? It's, it's a, a job that is not everything you dreamed it would be. What do you do? Paul says, we should obey on earth as we look to heaven. We should obey on earth as we look to heaven because our Father in heaven is looking down at us on earth. Do you notice the way the verses, they shift focus back and forth between the two? Do you notice the way they do this? Read with me, verses five through seven. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. We'll get to verse 8 in a second. But he says, obey your earthly masters as you would Christ, not by way of eye service. Some people wonder if Paul coined this phrase here. In other words, don't just, don't just do enough to look good in front of your boss. One of our members is a general contractor who likes to say, well, God can see behind the bed. God can see behind the bed. You might not be able to see what's behind the bed, but God can. He can see under the sink or, or wherever. See, you can do enough to get by, right? Or you can do the job with excellence in a way that would please God. God who sees all of our shortcuts or all of our extra effort, whatever the case might be, and by the way, we once bought a new oven. It was a little shorter than the previous oven. Only to find out that the backsplash tiles, did, did they stopped behind the oven. There was this big gap. We really wished that the guys who built our kitchen originally would have said, God can see behind the oven. <clears throat> Why do we care? Why do we care what he sees because, as verse 6 says, we're ultimately bond servants. That's that same word that means either servants or slaves. We could talk about the concept of first century slavery if we want, but, but we're ultimately bond servants of Christ. We're bought with the blood of Christ. We're debtors to mercy alone. Our goal is not to please our earthly boss or our customers or somebody else. It's to please our heavenly Father with our work. And you can do that in any kind of honest work, as it says in Ephesians 4.28. You can do that while you're flying a jet to defend your com uh, country or do it while you're changing a diaper to care for your child. 
who may grow up to do great things for you, for his country, for his God, because God sees behind the bed. Or as it says in verse eight, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive from the Lord, receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. See, the first century slave needed to know the same thing that we need to know, the same thing that first century masters needed to know. We all need to know that there are greater stakes than just completing the next day's work. All of our work is seen by our loving Heavenly Father. Somebody who's far more loving than any earthly master. Someone who's better than the best boss you've ever had. We need to know that God sees, that God knows, that God will reward those who are faithful by His grace. God will say, well done, you good and faithful servant. Whether you're a servant, an actual servant or a CEO, You need to know that your kind and loving Lord sees you, sees your work, and that his authority comes with the blessing. Oh, yes, he does command us to do stuff, right? He's a Lord. He's a master. He says work hard. (laughs) But the one who gives us that command is the same one who has laid down his life to redeem us from pointless and futile ways of life redeemed us to eventually give us our full inheritance in heaven. Your boss may not care about your hard work, but your heavenly father does. And if your boss is cruel and uncaring and doesn't reward you, then what does it say? It says God will call him to account too, doesn't it? And that leads to our final point. Fourthly, we see masters, God will call you to account too. See that in verse 9. One pastor wrote this, a good test of a person's character is how they deal with adversity. We've heard that before. But the best test of a leader's character is how they deal with power. How they deal with power. Does it all go to your head? Do you use it to make others serve you? Are you the kind of leader that Max Dupree writes about? Leaders don't inflict pain, he says. They bear pain. Verse 9 says it this way, Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Masters, do the same to them. Do the same to your servants, your slaves, your subordinates. Don't only serve them, serve God. Be a boss to God's glory. Help them advance, help them develop, care about them as people, not just as employees, not just as people who can help you get the task done, make you look good. Isn't that what you would want if the roles were reversed? Isn't that how God would want you to serve them? As a side note, if you are confused about how God would want you to serve them, look at at Westminster Larger Catechism, questions 129 and 130. 30. It's an exposition on the fifth commandment. It says, oh, this isn't just for children and parents. This is for anyone who's an inferior, a subordinate, anyone who's a superior, who's in charge. These commands have implications for how we deal with authority in our lives. Bosses don't threaten, it says. Don't threaten them. Obviously, employees shouldn't do that to their leaders, their bosses either, but leaders don't Don't threaten them. Don't try to extort every last ounce of effort out of them. 
Don't assume that they were born for your sake alone. Don't treat them the same way you treat your lawnmower, or maybe I should say the way that I treat my lawnmower. God may have given you power and authority and position, but it's not for your glory. It's not for your advancement. One book says it this way, as leaders, we are stewards of delegated power gifted to us for a short time by God. A lot of important words in that statement, but the one that jumped out to me, a short time. Do we as leaders, as parents, do we need that reminder? It's for a short time. Parents, I'm off on a, uh, maybe a a bit of a side note here, but the, the days are long and the years are short, they say. Some of you who are younger parents, you're saying, that's what old people say. Fair enough, at least I'm not saying get off my lawn. The days are long, the years are short with your children. Cherish that time. Time is short. Cherish them. Cherish the God who gave them to you. The God who has used his power for our good to obtain eternal life for us in Christ. Cherish that time. Leaders as well. Your time as a leader, it may be short. You don't know. You don't know what tomorrow brings. Stock markets dip and dive, fortunes change, yours might too. Have you used the money, the power, the people that God has given you to glorify him? Have you been a steward of God's good gift? Or have you lorded it over others? Because it's not too late to imitate your Lord, the one who used his authority to lay down his life for you. Do you wield authority wisely and sacrificially? knowing that that's how your Lord used his authority? Do you humbly follow the authorities in your life, knowing that your Savior humbled himself for your sake, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross? Do you live all of your life on earth, knowing that earthly obedience by God's grace will one day bring heavenly gain? Because we all have one master, verse nine reminds us. Leaders, servants, CEOs, we all have one master and there is no partiality with him. Can't bribe the judge of all the earth. He will do right no matter what. No bribes, no preferential treatment, only grace given freely to those who know they need it, those who have no power to demand it. Of course, as we said, power tends to corrupt and absolute power Well, it depends on who has it, right? Because there was one leader who had it and used it for the sake of his people. A leader who didn't inflict pain, but who bore our pain for all who turned to him. Let's think of him. Let's pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we come to you knowing that we're not perfect children. We're not perfect parents. If we're not parents, we know that any authority we have, we haven't wielded it perfectly. We haven't responded to it perfectly. And so, Father, we come before you realizing that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, asking for your mercy and grace, knowing that you are Lord, we've failed you, and knowing that you, rather than taking it out on us, graciously hold out the grace, the favor that you have earned by your obedience 
And so we pray, would you help us to realize that we are not worthy of the least of your mercies, but that we can have them. Have them in part now, tasting them in part now, tasting them in full one day in heaven. We can have them through faith in Christ our Savior. It's in his name we pray, amen.